0: Amen. Now for the reading of God's word. Uh, This morning we are inching ever closer to the conclusion of the book of Jonah. Uh, This morning we will primarily look at chapter 4. But as I was looking at it, I'd like to go back just a few verses to provide some context if you were not here last week. So I'm going to begin in verse uh, 9 of chapter 3. So the background is Jonah has gone to Nineveh. He's preached God's word, finally. The people have begun to repent. And in verse 9, the king of Nineveh says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we might not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Now chapter four, this is the word of the Lord. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Mike, we welcome you to teach us this morning from Jonah.
1: morning. The title of today's message is, Do You Do Well? Imagine if you were to sit down in your living room tonight, and God met you there in that space, and he asked you the simple question, do you do well? Now, this is God asking you. The God from whom nothing under the sun is hidden. The God who sees in the darkness as if it were light. The God who has written all the days of your life in his book before there was one of them. This is the God who created you in your mother's womb. Who knows the words of your mouth before you speak them, the thoughts of your mind before you think them, and the desires of your heart before you even recognize them? Now imagine this God enters into your living room and asks, Do you do well? Do you do well, Stephen? Do you do well, answer? Do you do well, Fran? Do you do well, Mike? What do you say? This is not a God who will let you get away with, I'm good. I'm all set. See, God's calling one of you right now. (laughs) This is not a God who's going to let you get away with, I'm all set. I'm good. He's not going to do that because he's not going to allow a superficial answer. He won't let you get away with some sh- casual, shallow response because he already knows you're not all good and you're not all set. He knows the depths of your depression, the hopelessness, the frustration, the anger, the unforgiveness, the bitterness or the anger that you're experiencing. He won't let it go because he loves you. Thank you. He loves you and he wants to set you free. He won't let you go and get away with some sort of shallow all set because he is ever working on conforming you to his image. See, now, this is the story truly of Jonah. In truth, the sailors, the fish, and even the Ninevites are background to the story of what God is doing in the heart of Jonah. God is, throughout this story, showing Jonah his own personal idols, That is, those things that are most valuable to Jonah other than God. Namely, his love of nation and his self-righteousness. And let me just say that God is about that in every one of our lives as well. Every one of us has things that keep us from wholeheartedly loving and following God every one of us has taken that stick and, and drawn the line in the sand and say, God, I will follow you anywhere except over that line. God, I will do anything. I will give you everything except what I'm going to put in this box. You can apply that to your own life. Wherever you draw that line, wherever you place that box, that line you're not willing to step over, that box of of whatever it is that you're not willing to leave behind, that thing has become your idol. In the last three chapters of Jonah, we have seen some of his idols. Jonah runs from God because he does not want to take God's message to the Ninevites. Why? Well, Jonah knew that if he declared God's message of destruction, the Ninevites would respond, they would repent. And if they repented, God knew, or Jonah knew, that God would show mercy. That he would relent from the destruction that he had promised to do. Now, the kingdom of Israel hated the Assyrians. And Nineveh was part of the kingdom of Assyria. They hated them because they were in conflict over Israel's land. They hated them because they were evil people. They hated them because they weren't Israelites. See, they hated them because they weren't us. They were them. The Ninevites were were Jonah's enemies. And he wanted nothing to do with compassion and mercy for his enemies. Jonah wanted the destruction of Nineveh and all the Assyrians. Jonah drew his line in the sand, and it was judgment and destruction. God called him to step over that line into compassion and mercy. Jonah put a box around national interest. God asked him to drop that precious box and embrace the interest of seeing all the nations of the world come to him by extending to them compassion and mercy. National interest was an idol for Jonah and God was calling him to throw it down And follow him. As we see in chapter 4 verse 1. God's compassion made Jonah angry. In fact a direct translation of that would be that it made Jonah burn. He was furious with God. He was seething with anger. Can you relate to that? I can. In 1991, February 24th to be exact, my battalion crossed the Iraqi border in the enemy held territory. We did everything that we had ever been trained to do, and we did it well. Our enemy broke. And they ran before us. And when they stopped and turned and tried to fight, we crushed them. That's the truth of it. We did exactly what we were trained to do, and we did it well. At 8 a.m. on February 28th, as we prepared to fire on an enemy units across the valley from us, The call came to cease fire. It was over. The President of the United States had called a ceasefire. We had met his objectives. We were done. And I was furious. I was furious because it went against everything that I had ever been taught about warfare. I was furious because. Everything I had been taught was to pursue and destroy the enemy. And as I looked across that valley, I watched them fade into the distance. I had no interest in compassion. I had no interest in mercy. I just wanted their destruction. But my president, he had other ideas. And so as we stood down, I have to say that in some way I felt cheated and betrayed like a covenant had been broken. The president's orders did not seem good to me. In fact, they seemed evil. In some sense, this is what Jonah was feeling. Do you see in verse 2 where Jonah prayed to the Lord Now, if you look at that word, Lord, it's kind of all in caps, right? And where you see that, that means it's that word there in Hebrew is actually Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is Israel's God. He's the creator God. But more than just the creator God, he is the God who set apart Israel, made them a people. Yahweh is the name of the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac Yahweh is the God who gave them the commandments and made covenant with them. Yahweh is the God who said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Yahweh was the God of Israel. Jonah was an Israelite. In Jonah's mind, God was not the God of any other nation. Especially not a Gentile nation, and in particular, not the God of the Assyrians. To Jonah, showing mercy and compassion to the Assyrians was a breach of contract. It was a breaking of covenant. To Jonah, that breaking of covenant, that relenting of judgment... And the associated destruction, that showing of mercy and compassion to the Assyrians, was not good. It was evil. In your Bible, verse 1 says, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, if you have footnotes in your Bible, You also might see that there's an alternate reading and the alternate reading was, but it was exceedingly evil to Jonah and he was burning. Jonah was displeased with God's mercy and compassion. It made him angry, but I would offer to you That it was much deeper than just he was displeased. He was displeased to the point that he thought it was evil what God had done, and he burned with anger about it. He was so angry, verse 3 tells us, that he prayed for God to take his life and take it now. Can you identify with that? Have you been there? Have you been in the place where you felt like God broke the contract somehow? Have you been in that place where you could not see any good in what God had done or was doing, and you couldn't see any good coming out of it? Where in truth, it felt much more like evil. Have you been so angry that you would rather die than deal with the circumstances, deal with the outcome of God's goodness? I have a lot of times. Probably the most recent one was when we closed down our church last May. Church we had started four years ago. I felt like God had made promises and now he's breaking those promises It felt like somehow a betrayal from God. It felt evil. And I was angry. I struggled mightily. And friends, I know that as long as I have idols in my heart, even good things that I hold dearly, but that are more important than God, and following him and loving him, that he will in his goodness and mercy smash those things. He will ask me to give them up and in love, he will smash them so that I can follow him more fully. So Jonah cries out in verse two and says, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Here, Jonah is paraphrasing Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Let me read you the actual words that came from that verse. This is when God went before Moses and and God names himself, basically describes who he is to Moses. It says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping his steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Jonah left out the second half of that verse. Jonah left out the part about God's justice. Jonah chose to see the truth that he wanted to see that supported his line of arguments, that supported his version of the truth. But he didn't apply the whole scripture, only what was convenient to him. Church, cherry picking the truths of scripture is a really dangerous thing to do. Thomas Jefferson, our third president, had a habit of doing this, actually. Maybe you're not familiar with it, but he actually created his own version of the Bible. He did that by taking the Bible and then cutting out the pieces he liked. And then he glued those on and created a story that was something he could live with. It was more or less a coherent story of Jesus' life. But it left out all kinds of things. The things that he disagreed with, was uncomfortable with. How many of you use highlighters in your Bible? It's not a bad thing if you do. I use them all the time. I write in my Bible. It's a a mess. Anyway, I, I use it. It's a living document for me, right? So anyway... Now, imagine you're using your highlighter and maybe you've got multiple colors. You're, you're Oh, I love this. This means that. This means this. And then, you know, you get to the parts you really don't like and you take out your black sharpie and you highlight with that. <laughs> it makes sense, right? I mean, there's a lot of verses I wouldn't mind doing that with. It would make my life easier. But see, that is what Jefferson did. It's what Jonah was doing. And in truth... It's what many of us would like to do as well and maybe do. When God relented from the destruction that Nineveh rightly deserved, God's compassion and mercy were seen by Jonah as evil. Jonah could not see any good thing coming out of what God was doing. So he questioned God's goodness. He forgot about the lines about justice. He couldn't see anything good, and so he questioned God's goodness. He questioned what God was doing, doing. He questioned God's goodness to the point in fact of seeing it as evil. Unless we judge Jonah too quickly, I'm not so different. And if you find yourself doubting God's goodness at times, you're probably in good company. See, at the core of the book of Jonah are the oldest questions really that man asks about God. Is God good and can God's goodness be trusted? It's at the heart of the story Of the fall of Adam and Eve. They had one thing that they were asked to do. Told not to do. One commandment in the garden. Do not eat of the tree that's in the center of the garden. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, look. There was more food available in the garden of Eden. Than any of the two of them could have ever eaten in 20 lifetimes. Even if they lived eternally. Right? It wasn't... An issue about, oh, I'm hungry and there's nothing for me to eat. That wasn't what was going on here. No, it was a question of God's goodness. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, the question quietly being posed, the question behind the scenes, was, why would God withhold from you something that is obviously good? It was good to the eye. It looked good. They couldn't find a good reason why they should not eat the fruit. Why would God withhold that? The picture painted by Satan in truth was that God was petty and selfish and capricious. That God was a liar. The implications of that line of thought, had they really followed it to his end, was that God was not good and that potentially he was even evil. In the end, they chose to believe that God was not good. In the end, they chose to believe that their understanding of good was much wiser than God's. In the end, they chose to become God. And they became the ones who would decide what was good, putting themselves in God's place. Well, like Adam and Eve, we are all tempted by this question of, is God good? Is God good when I can't see anything good coming out of it? Is God good when my business fails? Is God good when my child runs with the wrong people and runs and winds up in prison? Is God good when I receive that diagnosis of cancer? Or my spouse, the diagnosis of Alzheimer's? The question that Jonah was forced to deal with was, is God good when he shows mercy to the enemies of me and my nation? Or personal questions may be, Different, but it really goes back to "Is God good?" Dot dot dot. You fill in the blank. We're all struggling with this same question. I want to take just a few moments here to help us consider that question, how we might answer it, how we might understand it better from Exodus 34, the correct version of it, not Jonah's half answer. In this passage, God describes his goodness in terms of his mercy and grace, his slowness to anger, his abundance and steadfast love, his faithfulness, but also in terms of justice and the remembrance of that justice across generations. For me personally, I believe that the scriptures teach that God is good. It is the bedrock and foundation to my life. But the scriptures teach me other things as well that help provide that fuller understanding of God's goodness. They remind me that God is a, is, is a creator God, He is the God who created time. And He is the God who is outside of that time. God is eternal he knows the end from the beginning but the problem is you and I are not eternal we're limited we can't see very far beyond you and I in some sense are like less than a millisecond of time in a millennia yet our good God knows us by name created us in our mother's womb for his purposes which he will fulfill. God knew you from before time he set his love on you. While you were still an enemy, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. He pursued you with his goodness, changed your heart. <laughs> he opened your eyes. He gave you faith to believe. He set you free from darkness. He forgave all of your sins. He filled you with His Spirit, called you His child, gave you the promise and hope of the resurrection and eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He did all of this because He is good. You are not the recipient of these things, as Jonah seemed to believe, because you are good. It's not because you are godly or righteous, but it is because God is good. He is merciful and gracious, compassionate and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving sin, but also maintaining justice. Jonah wasn't interested in compassion. He did want justice. He wanted to see his enemies destroyed for their evil. And he wanted to see it now. Yet God is both compassionate and just. Let me give you a quick example out of history. The events of the book of Jonah take place somewhere between 782 and 753 B.C., Somewhere in that period, Jonah preaches to the Ninevites. And they repent and God has mercy on them. Instead of the destruction that Jonah had wanted, they receive mercy. But you know, just as Jonah had feared, the Assyrians grow strong. And in 722, they attack and destroy the kingdom of Israel. Then... 110 years later, several generations, two to three generations later, the Babylonians roll in and destroy the Assyrians. The prophets will say that both Israel and Assyria have been given opportunities to repent and were receiving justice from God for their actions. In both of these cases. What do I learn from this? First I learn that God. From all of this. What do I learn? That, That God is good. He showed mercy and grace. To the people of Nineveh. His compassion. And forgiveness of sins. Is absolutely evident. Second. God is good. Justice was given. God had promised through his prophets that if they did not turn from evil, both Israel and Assyria, including Nineveh, would be judged and destroyed. God's judgment came. Third, I am reminded that while God is good to us as individuals, we often have to step back to see that goodness completed over generations. In 1981, my father was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. It is a cruel disease that slowly kills you, it, it wastes your body and it steals your ability to breathe. My father had been a strong man, a proud man. He grew up in the depression. He served in World War II as a paratrooper. He was in the Korean conflict. He was a lifelong soldier. My dad was a hard man at times and an incredibly good judge of character. As a child, I pretty much thought he was invincible. He and John Wayne were like the same person in my mind. His death in 1996 left me feeling somewhat empty and angry. Do you notice that's a habit, me being angry? I couldn't see any good out of what had happened. But today... I can look back and say that God was so good to my family. Events in my dad's life had kept him far from God. But God used that disease to draw him to himself. And a few years before he died, my dad accepted Christ, became a believer. Moreover, through those events surrounding my father's death... God led me to a place where I would also become a believer about four months later what I could not see then I can see now God worked to shape faith throughout my family across three generations so that if my dad or when my dad looks and sees he sees that not only him, but his sons and his grandchildren have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. See, I know with a certainty that for all eternity, my dad will be with a good and gracious heavenly father. And friends, that is a gift. I can look now and say that, God, you have been so good to us. Let me tell you, that gives me faith for the future as well. Looking back at the past, recounting God's goodness gives us hope for today, strength for today, and hope for the future. Remember God's goodness. Meditate on it. In verse 4, God asked Jonah, do you do well to be angry? In doing so, he was pointing out Jonah's failures to embrace God's heart of compassion for the lost peoples of the world, even his enemies. He was pointing out Jonah's idolatry, which placed the love of nation above the love of God. And finally, he was pointing to Jonah's deep-rooted conviction that God was not good. As you will see next week. The story really leaves us hanging with no answer to this question. Do you do good to be angry? In the face of God's compassion, we get no response, no change. But friends, this last question is ours as well. Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be distrustful of the goodness of God? Do you do well to distrust his mercy and compassion, his steadfast love and forgiveness? Do you do well to distrust his justice? Do you do well to distrust the timing of his events? Do you do well to be angry? When God's purposes diverge from our own, And reveal the idols in our hearts. Jonah's response was yes. Yeah, I do well to be angry, angry enough even to die. But, friends, that should not be our answer. That should be a signpost. That should be a, a big sign that says, Stop, wrong way, do not enter. That anger is symptomatic of a heart that is misaligned with God. And when God points it out, as he did with Jonah, it's our opportunity to repent, to turn away from that anger, to turn to God, to fall on our face and beg for mercy. Friends, if the question, do you do well to be angry, is resonating with you today, if it's striking home today, And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Whom in his kindness is pointing out sin and calling you to repent. So that you can receive mercy and grace, forgiveness and restoration. So as we close today, as we close out our service today, please take time to deal with that question do you do well to be angry about? Whatever it is. Don't leave here today without taking time to repent and turn back to God. Take time while there's still a bunch of us here. Find someone to pray with. Someone who could care for your soul. I'm not saying it'll be all better immediately today. But... Today, you can start letting go of that anger and start embracing the goodness of God in faith. Amen, amen. I thank you for the word today. I pray that you will cause it to achieve all that you intend. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being a good God.